Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, please turn to uh, Mark chapter 4. And some of you, I know, find uh, taking notes helps uh, you uh, to pay attention. I think that's a, a wonderful practice. And so if you're one of those folks and you watch this sermon unfold, uh, I want you to know that the majority of the sermon will be built around the first uh, point, and I'll be mindful of the time. So the other parts are not nearly as, uh, as lengthy as the first. If you would, would you stand as we uh, read God's uh, word together? And Father, we cry out to you for the ministry of the Spirit. Lord, we ask that our hearts would be made soft, that our minds would be attentive. You'd free us from every distraction in these moments, and that our ears would be able to hear what Jesus would say to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve ask him about the parable. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones who, the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, is a lamp brought in to to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. 
If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and as they were able uh, to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. You may take your seats. Well, we have a deep and abiding love of stories. We're just drawn to them. In fact, we gladly part with our money uh, to hear them. If you exclude the Bible and a few other religious texts, the best-selling books in the world are books that tell stories. The top ones that sold over 50 million copies are all familiar to you. The Tale of Two Cities by Dickens, The Little Prince, The Hobbit, uh, uh, Harry Potter, Agatha Christie, C.S. Lewis. We love stories because they offer to us the possibility of connecting with our own story. We identify with the characters, their struggles, their conflicts, and their victories. And we look into their lives and find strength and courage and a wisdom And we see actually how life is. That's the power of a story. It describes what life is actually like. And Jesus loves uh, stories. He uses stories about everyday experiences, ordinary simple things to depict spiritual reality. Almost exclusively the stories Jesus tells are in the form of parables. Now, parable means to set alongside. And so Jesus lays out some ordinary thing in a story alongside a spiritual uh, reality. And Jesus speaks more than 60 parables. Together, they are the richest, most textured, and brilliant set of parables uh, that are known in the world. And Jesus is a master storyteller. And his parables are puzzles. They're uh, meant uh, to awaken within us deep reflection. They don't really quickly yield their insights. They're not really on the surface what Jesus is getting at. They're layered, they're complex, they're open-ended. And what Jesus is using parables to do is to create a crisis in the hearer. He's looking uh, to move you not only to listen, but to respond 
And Mark has chosen the most important uh, parables of Jesus to illustrate Jesus' teaching ministry. Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God, and the parables are kingdom stories. Now, in the parables, this is the first point, we encounter Jesus. It's through the parables we encounter him. We're brought face to face with him. And if you don't just some, have someone tell you what Jesus said, but you want to hear Jesus' voice, then listen up. It's right there in these parables. If you're tired and weary of uh, religion and want to experience the power of God, then listen closely as Jesus speaks. And if you're a disciple, you will see there's two threads. There's a thread of exhortation about what it means to follow Christ, and there's a word of great encouragement to us as we work with him. Now, Jesus is by the lake, and the crowds have gathered, and it's a very large number of people, so many that he climbs into a boat. And biblical archaeologists have very likely identified the exact location where this took place. There's a natural amphitheater between Capernaum and uh, Tabshah, and Israeli uh, uh, scientists have actually gone out to this amphitheater and measured, and they've determined that just speaking in a normal tone, thousands of people could be there in that place and hear Jesus speak. Jesus there tells this master parable, the sower, or we might call it the farmer. It reveals the secret of God's kingdom. Now just imagine the scene in your mind's eye. And what you need to first discard is all those trips you've taken out to western Maryland and the Pennsylvania countryside because farms look nothing like that. In Jesus' day, there were very small plots, a lot more like we might think of as a vegetable plot. And they were uh, surrounded by hard-packed paths, no fences, no tree rose, and much of the soil was, well, it was rocky. And golden rich seed with the potential of life in it was slung out of a cloth bag very rhythmically by the farmer. Now in college, I studied crops and soils, and I had a friend named Roger who was a forestry major. Roger was six feet, three inches tall and as thin as a rail with a big, bushy beard. The study of trees really suited him, I thought. (laughs) And he came into uh, my dorm room and told uh, my roommate and I that he'd been reading this parable and he had had an amazing realization. He'd always imagined that the sower was just slinging seed like a crazy person. And then he said, no, but that's not what's going on. And rather, the sower is seeking to make the most of every inch of his farm. And so he's sowing right up to the path and right up to the rocky uh, places, trying to get the most out of his land possible. And of course, Roger was right about that. As the seed grows, there's four outcomes. Some gets on the path. Uh, It's not worked into the soil, and the birds have it for a snack. Some is on thin, rocky soil. The seed springs up, it germinates. 
uh, but the soil is shallow as soon uh, as the day grows hot from the sun, uh, it withers. Some is overtaken by weeds. Now, some of you I know are gardeners, and most of you have lawns. And you have discovered the truth that there are, in fact, 10,000 seeds in every cubic foot of soil lying dormant, only waiting for the right condition uh, to germinate. And that's why you battle weeds every year so consistently. This soil uh, is choked, the life of the seed is choked out uh, by the weeds. And some produces an abundant harvest. Now, when the Bible speaks of the yield being a certain fold, what it means, boys and girls, is that a single seed becomes 30 or 60 or 100 seeds at harvest. Now, this was extraordinary because no farmer in Palestine used modern uh, uh, fertilizers and agricultural techniques. And to get 10 times as many seeds uh, at harvest as was planted is a bumper crop. And so this doesn't happen. It's very surprising, and it's meant to get you thinking, to, to awaken your curiosity about how could this be? And then Jesus adds, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is inviting us to think. Now, the scene changes, and he's alone with his disciples, and uh, they want to know what the meaning of this parable is. And what he says uh, next, it's a little hard. And so I'm going to read it again. If you have your Bible still open, you can look at it. But if not, just listen. Jesus says in verse 11, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then can you understand all the parables? You see, they want to know what it means, and Jesus tells them why he speaks in parables. He says, you are privileged insiders, and you get to receive the secret of the kingdom of God. This secret is not like uh, the secret in a murder ministry, mystery. It's not a whodunit. You know, if you just follow the clues and there's a good detective, you'll see who it is that committed the murder. No, this is beyond human discovery. This is a secret that must be revealed. And Jesus is revealing the secret of the kingdom of God. It's a secret because God has chosen uh, to reveal himself in Christ in an indirect manner, in a veiled way. The secret is that the king and the kingdom are not at all like what people expect them uh, to be. Jesus is not the king of popular imagination uh, who will yield political and military uh, power. He won't conquer Israel's enemies, reign in splendor, and enjoy worldwide fame. No, he's come in the weakness of being a man, born in obscurity and relative poverty, and starts his reign by being rejected and crucified. Jesus' life and kingdom are cruciform. 
They are characterized by humility, meekness, and even weakness. It looks utterly foolish to people. And the disciples won't understand this secret until Jesus is crucified and raised from the dead. In verse 11, Jesus says he's dividing people, not just then, but also now. The parables divide people. Some people become insiders, those who want to know Jesus and do his will, and some become outsiders. They only hear a story, and they have no understanding of the spiritual truths it conveys. Or to put it differently, it's only if you're in fellowship with Jesus do the parables disclose their spiritual meaning. Look closely at verse 12. It's the most difficult verse in this passage. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah. If you have a Bible open, probably was set off in some way to show that it's not Mark writing here as he's quoting Isaiah. And this passage from Isaiah is quoted six times in the New Testament, and it's always in the context of unbelief and hardness of heart. And what Jesus is saying here is that his parables reveal and confirm the state of people's hearts. Insiders, those who are exercising faith, receptive uh, to Jesus, will be given more revelation of God's mysteries of the kingdom. And outsiders, which include the religious leaders and the crowds who are not with Jesus, will be confirmed in their disbelief. Now here's there's a tension, and uh, maybe you feel it at this point, between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. If you try to get rid of this tension, you're going to end up doing one of two things. Either you'll take away God's sovereignty and emasculate him, and you'll be left with a God other than the one revealed in the Bible, or if you take away human responsibility to exalt God's sovereignty, you'll just make humans pawns, puppets on a strings, and you're left with a fatalism. The tension that's here is the same one that we see in the life of Judas, who betrays Jesus. Jesus says, on the one hand, that the Son of Man must be betrayed, uh, as it is written. Uh, But also, woe to the man through whom he's betrayed. In other words, there's a defined necessity and purpose, and uh, it's God's will that Jesus be betrayed. And at the same time, Judas is responsible for his choices. Well, you may be puzzled. How can all this be? How could Jesus choose to use parables, which in fact don't make everything plain? Why would he do that? I thought God wanted everybody uh, to know what he was up to in Jesus. Well, the next parable is uh, helpful. It's in verses 21 and 22. Jesus said, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. 
You see, of course, you uh, don't put a lamp in a cabinet and close the door. What purpose would it possibly serve? It is God's intent uh, to uh, illumine. Uh, God's ultimate intention is to reveal Jesus' identity as the God who has become man, but not in a way that compels faith. God doesn't force people to believe. And Jesus, during his earthly uh, ministry, the light is shining uh, through him, but the time for full disclosure is not right. One writer illustrates it this way. The parables are like stained glass windows in a great cathedral. From the outside, they're dull and lifeless. But if you go in the cathedral on a sunny day, they are brilliant and radiant within. You have to come in to a relationship with Jesus Christ to see the brilliance and the radiance and the light of what God is doing in Christ from the parables. So the parables can only be understood in relation to Jesus who spoke them. They are not good advice. They are good news. And what Jesus is saying here is it's not fatalism. Outsiders in the crowd can become insiders and join the disciples. In fact, Mark will tell us of many uh, outsiders who become insiders. Uh, He'll talk about a man who's demon-possessed, a woman with a flow of blood, the Syrophoenician woman, a Gentile centurion. And some insiders become outsiders, most notably Judas, who betrays him. Will you hear and receive the message of the kingdom about Jesus Christ? Are you hearing, are you listening with faith? To receive Christ is to receive new life a life filled with new potential, just as a seed has the potential to grow into a plant. Now, Jesus goes on to explain the parable of the sower to his disciples. And there are really a lot of levels here, a lot of layers, but we're going to focus mainly on uh, one, and I hope you can work out some of the others when I hint at them here. He exhorts us. We're exhorted to take Uh, care in how we listen to Jesus. Jesus is a farmer and he sows the seed, which is the word. It's the word about the kingdom of God, which is centrally about Jesus himself. The parable points us to Jesus. Jesus is sowing the kingdom with his words. The kingdom comes through uh, preaching. And the parable asks us, what kind of soil are you? Now, there are four soils and four kinds of listeners, four kinds of people uh, as they relate to Jesus. The path represents hard-hearted people. They really are not listening at all. They have life all figured out. They live by their wits. They make their own luck. And unknown to them, Satan comes to take the seed from their hearts. The prince of darkness blinds their minds to the truth. Some people are like the rocky uh, places. They listen superficially. They lack depth. They have a shallow and temporary response to Jesus. As soon as trouble or hardship or persecution uh, comes, well, uh, because of the gospel, they just turn their backs on Jesus. The gospel, you see, reorders our lives and calls for a total surrender to Jesus. It touches our deepest commitments. 
the things that we want to put at the very center of our lives. And these people are afraid that if they follow Jesus, it's going to cost them something. Maybe it's a control over their career or their leisure time or their finances or their sex lives or how they think. The weeds are the distracted people. The three W's are at work in their lives. Worries, wealth, and wants. Worries, wealth, and wants, the three W's. The pressures of school and friends, uh, career and home ownership, romance and marriage, and family just crowds out the word. Their relationship with Jesus is strangled like a vine that over time kills a tree. Jesus must have first place in our lives. He must be the thing that uh, we treasure the most. Everyone who follows Jesus will have to give something up. You have to die to yourself. And the good soil represents those who are deep, receptive, attentive people. They hear, accept, and heed Christ's word. Their lives are open to him. They're ready to yield to him, to obey him. And in them, the gospel brings forth a bumper crop. They receive new life, the very life of God that continuously renews uh, them. They become a source of life and good uh, for others. Can you become a different kind of soil? Well, yes, you can. Can you turn yourself into a different kind of soil? No, you cannot. But God in his grace can and does make people receptive. You can call on the Lord and be saved. If you're concerned about what kind of soil uh, you are, then ask God to soften your heart. Ask him to unpack the soil, to plow it up and make it ready uh, to receive the word, to give you grace to receive it. Even Christ followers can have hearts that grow cold and hard. And so all of us need to ask for God to work in our hearts, to make us soft, to make us receptive. That's one of the reasons why we pray before uh, we come to worship. And it's one of the reasons why I prayed before I read the scripture uh, with you all. And we need to pray, uh, Lord, as we sow the gospel, wherever it's being sowed, uh, that it would find good soil in people's hearts. Last of all, Jesus encourages us. The parable of the growing seed and the mustard seed, he encourages us with them about the secret of the kingdom's growth. The kingdom of God grows automatically. That's what it says in verse 28, by itself. Literally, in the original, it is automatic. The seed grows without assistance from the farmer. That's just the nature of farming. A farmer goes out and sows his seed, and then what happens next is pretty much out of his control. The weather, uh, the sun, uh, how much water it receives, uh, he just has to wait. He has to wait and see what happens with the seed for it to germinate, he hopes, and to produce a crop. The growth of the crops and the harvest comes by a process independent of human activity. It's God who grows 
his kingdom. Now we do very well to remember this because we live in a time of, of technology and technique. And so we're always concerned in so many uh, areas of life as to how do we make this happen? What can we do? What, what tool can we bring to bear? How can we arrange things so that we get the result uh, that we want? But we cannot create a gospel harvest. We don't have the power uh, to do uh, that. We uh, can't manage or create the conditions in which the gospel seed bears fruit. We must and can faithfully bear witness to Christ and sow gospel seeds, and we must and can ask the Lord of the harvest to give increase. But the responsibility of producing increase, of seeing the harvest, rests entirely upon God. And the last parable builds on it, and it's that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's very small, but when it grows up, it is larger than all the plants of the garden. Now remember, this is a parable, this is a story, and if you were in the first century, you would know what you can find out on the web, which is the mustard seed is not the smallest seed to be found in Palestine. But the mustard seed was used proverbially to describe the, the ti- something tiny and insignificant. And Jesus says what is tiny and insignificant will become dominant. Now, the mustard seed's an annual, and each year it springs up and proliferates. And I know you think it's a spice, but in fact it's a weed. It's a, actually a very pernicious weed. Now, the thing about weeds, which are just plants out of place... Those plants that are, you know, in your yard, they're, they're, they're not bad in and of themselves. They're just not where you want them, right? But what makes them weeds is they are very good competitors for soil and for light and for nutrients and water. And once they get established, it's almost impossible to get rid of them. So don't think spice. Think crabgrass. Nutsedge, dandelions, thistles. Jesus surprisingly says that the kingdom of God is like a weed. And the point is this. Though the kingdom of Jesus starts out very small and seems very insignificant, it will grow to be huge and will dominate everything. Now, here's the thing. Jesus could have chosen a different plant. In fact, the prophets often describe the kingdom of God as a cedar. You may recognize the term cedars of Lebanon. Well, the cedars of Lebanon were tall and stately. They were glorious among uh, trees. But Jesus instead speaks of a mustard, a weed. Why? Well, here there's great encouragement for us. Because when it seems to us like the gospel's making no progress when it seems fruitless, when it seems to experience nothing but setbacks and only opposition, it seems like nothing's happening. We need to remember this, that God is growing his kingdom in us and the world, and nothing can stop it. It's an established weed, and it is spreading and growing. The kingdom, in other words, is irrepressible. And this is the scandal of the kingdom that it is a weed 
and not a stately cedar. You see, the kingdom comes in weakness. God comes not in his might and his glory in the person of Jesus Christ, but in weakness, the weakness of human flesh. And he dies as someone who is rejected, who from a human point of view was an utter failure. He was utterly shamed and humiliated. He had no earthly glory as he hung on the cross. The kingdom comes through a cross. It appears utterly weak. Its power is hidden. But the kingdom of God has great power to change a life, to renew a city, and to recreate a society. If you're here, will you walk toward the light? Whatever light God has given you, will you walk toward that light? Boys and girls, walk toward the light that you have. You who know yourselves to be disciples, are you listening? Are you acting on the words of Jesus that you understand? And as you uh, work uh, and align your efforts with Christ's kingdom, be encouraged. And seemingly, the parable of the sower, so much labor is lost. But there is a certain crop coming, a large crop, a bumper uh, crop. This is the scandal of the kingdom. That the weed is irrepressible. That Christ's kingdom is working its way out, whether we see it or not. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to open our eyes more fully uh, to what you've said to us. Give us ears to hear, eyes that see. Have mercy and let us turn to you once again. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen.